Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Madam Vice President, it's great to see you. Thank you so much. Good to see you again. Um, And so she is here. She's going to take her seat. And I just have a few questions. Uh, First of all, they they put out that glass and I was immediately impressed because it has a a presidential seal on the glass. Uh Right. Uh, And a presidential seal on on the napkin. A vice presidential seal. Vice presidential seal. Well, yeah. Well, for now. (laughs) Right. And so so that's that's what's there. And, And we certainly appreciate you joining us this afternoon. I have a couple of questions. Um, I want to start. I want to take you back. Okay. So you came to Philadelphia in, in 2020 mm-hmm. um, and you were on a street in my neighborhood called Ogans Avenue. Yeah. And I was watching very carefully um, as you came down the street. I think you were with Congressman Dwight Evans. Mm-hmm. He was, I remember that day right? very well. Mm-hmm. It was a black man and a little boy standing in a doorway. I remember. You remember that? I do remember that. Yeah. And, and the black I man do remember that. wanted to tell you why he wasn't going to vote. Yeah. Um, you stopped to talk to him and, and he said too many black people were locked up and that wasn't right. You mm-hmm. said that's going to change. So my question to you now, it's four mm-hmm. years later. Mm-hmm. What is the administration doing right. to change outcomes for black people in the criminal justice system? So a number of issues. But first, let's start with I'm glad to see you and I'm glad to talk with you. And thank you for your voice. And um, I remember that day very well. And I remember that father and his son in the doorway. And he was speaking based on a very well-informed knowledge about what needs to change in our country, which is how we are administering the criminal justice system and dealing with the inequities and the injustices that have occurred in that system. So there are a number of things that we have done as an administration, but there's more to do. I'm going to start with that. Um, one of the things that we have done is a lot of our jurisdiction is going to be around the federal criminal justice system. States run theirs independently. On the federal criminal justice system, we have banned chokeholds. We have restricted no-knock warrants. Um, we have required that there will be a federal database for police misconduct. The U.S. Department of Justice, we don't tell them what to investigate, but I will tell you that under our administration, the number of pattern and practice investigations has increased around police departments that are engaged in a pattern and practice of discriminatory discriminatory and racial biased policing, um, including prosecutions of individual police officers for misconduct. Uh, We have... Pardon now tens of thousands of people who were under the federal system convicted of simple marijuana possession. As I say, every time, everywhere, um, people shouldn't have to go to jail just for smoking weed. And so that has been part of our approach. But there is still more to do. I was, as you may remember, an author of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act when I was in the Senate. And we still need to get that passed. We need the votes in Congress to do that. But that would give us more power in terms of what we need to do to reform the criminal justice system. But these are just some of the examples of what we've done. Not to mention thinking about the the power and the role and responsibility that judges have um, and to have judges in the courtrooms who will have some sense and awareness 
of um, what might be injustices in terms of what's being presented to them in a way that they can address them. We have appointed to the federal bench more black judges than any administration, in particular black women, not to mention um, Ketanji Brown Jackson being the first black woman to serve on the United States Supreme Court. And I would urge anyone who is interested to read in particular her um, profound words on many levels that involve race in terms of her dissents around the cases that have come down, including the affirmative action case. Yeah. I want to talk about that um, because there's been an ongoing attack on education for black people from a Texas student being targeted for his locks, uh, the black history classes being canceled in many school districts, mm -hmm. the Supreme Court um, essentially scuttling affirmative action. Um, how do we fight this on so many fronts? Mm -hmm. And what's the role of HBCUs in leveling the playing field? Hmm. Okay, well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, first of all, we have to be clear-eyed and awake in terms of what is happening. When you've got so-called elected leaders who are at passing laws to erase our history, to suggest that enslaved people benefited from slavery, to ban books in this year of our Lord, 2024, when you've got so-called leaders who would erase or overlook the true and full history of America, including the fact that the Civil War was about slavery. When you look at what is happening that has been about de-emphasizing and in many ways an attempt to demote black history as America's history, we have to see it for what it is and, and, and understand that in many ways there is an agenda that is afoot. And these are not isolated matters and we have to take it seriously. HBCUs, I am a proud HBCU graduate as you know. Yes. They are centers of academic excellence. They have produced world and, 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 and American leaders historically and currently. Um, it is at our HBCUs that we have uplifted um, awareness and education about America's history in very profound ways, and we need to continue to support our HBCUs. Um, on the issue of educating and who is educated, I, if, if I, my stats are correct, which I believe they are, HBCUs have educated the majority of black doctors and lawyers, and you can go on. So when you think of it in terms of a, a funnel um, into the professions that end up being very impactful in the lives of people every day, HBCUs are, are centers of um, their pipelines for who will be leaders. We also know that the majority of HBCU students, many are, but the majority are actually Pell Grant recipients. We know that many are first in their family to go to college. We know that our HBCUs, for those and a variety of other reasons, including still racial wealth disparities, do not have the kind of endowments that other schools have, but need the resources to be able to, to feel, fulfill their role and, and um, 
and their mission. So our administration so far has put $7 billion into our HBCUs. And that has been very intentional, understanding the investment in the future of America that is at play when we do that kind of work. Yeah. I want to ask you one more question because erasing student loan debt has mm-hmm. been a priority yes. uh, for, yes. for the Biden-Harris administration. Yeah. Started with a goal of $400 billion. The mm-hmm. Supreme Court said no. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the administration found a workaround. I think at this point it's about... $138 billion, Correct. nearly 4 million Americans. Right. Many of those people are black. Yeah. Why don't we know more about it? <laughs> you know, I was recently with a bunch of um, faith leaders and I said, you know, <laughs> I'm good. I, I said to the, the preachers who were there, you know, during announcements on Sunday at church, could you, could you perhaps ask people to stand up <laughs> and say who got their student loan um, forgiven? Because so many have. Mm-hmm. But we need to get the stories out. And I, and I think we need to do a better job. And with the testimonials, because you are absolutely correct, um, a very large number of people who are looking at whether they had the average or over 50% of people with student loan debt have less than 12000 dollars in debt. And we have just erased all of those. Um, but I've met people who have had as hundred, like a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars of debt erased, especially if they're in public service. So we need to do a better job to get the testimonials out. But the impact has been profound. Mm-hmm. So on the issue of, of criminal justice, because that's your background, you mm-hmm. were an assistant DA and then a DA and then attorney general Correct. in California. Um, I keep thinking about black people in policing. Mm-hmm. We have different outcomes than other people do when it comes to policing. Um, it's great that we have the executive order handling that on the federal level. Mm-hmm. You've worked with local and, and state police officers as a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. How do we get this handled on the local and state level? Well, one of the pieces, I mean, this is why elections matter, not only in terms of who is in the White House, not only in terms of who is in the United States Congress, but statewide offices, local offices. It matters who your DA is. It matters who your attorney general is. When I was attorney general of California, um, I it was a, a fight, but I opened up the California Department of Justice's data to make it available to journalists, to think tanks, to advocates, to have the information and then test their theory to, to show what is happening in terms of disparities. Um, I, I fought to get it done, but I got it done. It's called open justice. Mm-hmm. And many of the folks who are working on reform in the system have been very um, thankful for the fact that that data is now available so that it, it's not just folks from the community giving the anecdotal right story of what is going on but now being supported by the numbers and the data because if to get truly any substantial reform done i think it's going to take all of that which is the access to the information um and so that's that was my power as attorney general i ran the second largest department of justice in the united states second only to the united states department of justice and and to be able to do that has made a a very significant difference when i was Attorney General, I was elected and in 2010, which is a lifetime ago before Black Lives Matter, before yeah. a number of other important and, and meaning and strong movements. 
Um, I, I require that state agents, law enforcement agents, would have to wear, um, wear body cameras, which was a significant move back then. Now it is more common. But having progressive prosecutors, for example, who can show what is possible and then show that it works and show that, frankly, it's not contrary at all to public safety. In fact, it is a better way. It is a very effective way, among other ways, to achieve public safety. It is in the best interest of everyone that the community can trust law enforcement. It is in the best interest of everyone that we recognize the disparities and then work to fix them. And um, a lot of the work can come not only from the advocacy on the outside, but who will be on the inside with the power to implement change from that position. Okay. Well, speaking of change, and this is, of course, the last question. We are so over time that we're supposed to be here, but I, I appreciate your time. Um, I'll, the last question will be the first question okay. that I that I asked you. We both had on masks. We were outside. Yeah. Secret Service was hovering. Um, yeah. So I asked you, what would be the difference between a Biden-Harris administration mm -hmm. and a Trump administration? And you said everything. Mm -hmm. It's four years later. Mm -hmm. um, from a black perspective, mm -hmm. has that come to pass in, in your view? What do you want the community to know? Well, listen, not speaking about the former president, but speaking about what we have done, mm -hmm. something like student loan debt, understand that what we've been able to achieve was not without an incredible amount of resistance, mainly from Republicans, yeah. the Republicans of Trump's party. The work that we have done that has been about student loan debt to what we have done in terms of capping the cost of insulin at $35 a month for our seniors, black folks are 60% more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes. We wanted to get insulin capped at $35 for everybody, not just seniors, and they stood in the way of that. And by the way, do you know not one Republican voted for that? Not one, not a one. As part of that, the Inflation Reduction Act was about dealing with the climate crisis with an emphasis, and I'll credit a number of people, including the, the, the congressman from South Carolina, Jim Clyburn, that we would pay attention to the fact that the climate crisis, while it impacts everyone, does not do, do so equally. When you look in particular in the South, when you look at regions with the poorest air quality, it is black, brown, and poor communities. We got that through with an incredible amount of resistance. And again, not a one Republican voted for the Inflation Reduction Act, which is now administering itself in many communities in a way that we are, because we are proudly talking about equity, even though these people on the, uh, you know, so-called leaders want to shut down DEI. They're trying to, they're trying to do with DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, what they sadly successfully did with woke to turn it into a pejorative. So understand, a lot is different about what this would have been and what it has been and what it will continue to be. That's Vice President Kamala Harris. She joined us today on WURD. I certainly appreciate uh, your time 
And thank you so much for joining us. It's good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 